all of the work that we'd ever done and won and had been a success was either word of mouth, referrals, which is all great, but it felt like that's inevitably going to dry up. We would take on anything at the time. This is not why we started Few and Far. We didn't want to have no work-life balance. What was one of the first big shifts that you remember happening? Yeah, I think finding our niche and then going, right, we're going to just stick to that and be more selective and be more confident about who we do and don't want to help has been the biggest learning, I would say. We actually are making a difference in this sector. How did you manage to turn, we don't have a budget, this is all we've got, to them now being one of your best clients who's continually paying what you ask? If you've ever wanted to work with more impactful brands, maybe you've thought about working with charities or not-for-profits, but you worry that maybe they don't have the budget to work with you, or you worry that there's not enough money in that sector, then this episode is for you. Today, I'm sitting down with Colin, who is the founder of Few and Far. They specialize in branding and web development for charities and not-for-profits. What's really interesting about this conversation is how they had the resistance to niching down into that area prior to working with us and what came as a result of that niche and where they are now many months later. So this episode will be valuable for you if A, you just want to do more impactful work and you want to work with better brands who are actually making an impact in the world. But also if you have considered niching down or you feel you have a bit of a niche, but you're not really all in on it, I think this podcast will be worth listening to. As always, if you found this episode valuable, please hit the subscribe button and share it with a friend. Cole, thank you so much for joining me today. Before we get stuck in to the real value, could you just give us a little bit of context in terms of who you are and what your business does? Yeah, sure. So I run an agency called Few and Far. We're based in Leeds in the UK, same as yourself. We are a creative agency, so we do branding, websites, app development, website development, but specifically in the charity space. Okay, awesome. And tell us a little bit more about how the agency actually formed. Like, how did it come about? Yeah, sure. So I used to obviously work full time in agency land, like a lot of people do. Had opportunities to do really good, fun, creative work, but didn't feel fulfilled as far as being able to meet clients, really understanding their needs and all that kind of stuff. So I, I actually left and I went freelancing and I did freelancing for about two years, which was a really good opportunity to just learn and grow, go out there, meet more agencies, meet more people and felt valued for a long time. It was, you know, I was being paid to go in and be an expert somewhere. But after about two years, it felt a little bit then like, OK, I'm still doing the same stuff, just getting paid more to do it. I wasn't becoming fulfilled anymore from that. So... My dream would always be to run my own agency, do it my own way, work with the clients I wanted to work with, have a better work-life balance, all that kind of stuff. And so I felt like that's what I wanted to do, but I felt like I couldn't do it on my own. I think that was just a personal thing I'd learned. I felt like I'd done freelance on my own. It was good, but it had been really good to get someone with complementary skills, someone I could bounce ideas off, etc. So I called my mate up one day asked him to go for a beer and it was just going to be a casual chat but I ended up creating about a hundred and I think it was a hundred and seventeen slide presentation the night before which was just like these are all the ideas these are the things I want to do and just yeah I think 
massively overwhelmed him. But thankfully, he um, he agreed. He managed to take the leap as well. He left his job, joined me, and we've been running few and far for over four years now. Amazing. I'm surprised Tom didn't run 100 miles in the other direction when you brought that slide deck to the meeting. Yes, he, he quite possibly could have done. I was sort of expecting him to say that. And to be fair, he was he was really good about it. He was excited about it, but he was also very happy where he was at the time. But I think he, he went home, he stewed on it for a week or two, and then came back and went, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. So yeah, props to him. I felt really comfortable jumping into the agency idea because I'd already done the leap he needed to do, which was to leave the full-time stability to go and do something I wanted to do. So I was like trying to push him. I was like, it'd be fine, it'd be great and all that kind of stuff. But I knew what he was going through because I'd done it a few years prior. Yeah, so you had that empathy. You kind of knew where he was. You kind of knew what his headspace might be. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's interesting. And uh, it's probably a whole different conversation, that that leap. But for today, there's a, a few specific things that we've chatted about and a few specific things that you've done in the last nine months that I really want to dig into and, and share. Yeah. So before we get into those specifics, just paint me a bit of a picture. When we first met uh, about nine months ago or when we first had contact, what were some of the things that were going on in the agency that made you decide that maybe you needed a bit of help or you needed a bit of guidance? Year one was obviously of the agency was just, can we do it? Can we prove to ourselves that we can even survive and run a business? You know, whether that's making a profit or not, just can we do it for 12 months? It was successful. It was, you know, we were making a profit from the first year, but then year two, year three was the pandemic. So, you know, straight into a pandemic, lots of budgets cut, lots of projects cancelled, things of that nature. But for us, we actually ended up being the busiest we'd ever been in that year because we were getting a lot of clients going, we need to go online, we need a website, we need an online store. But we had so much work on that we were just burnt out by the end of the year. We were so tired and really the our prices had not gone up. We'd not really moved from our initial, let's just get any work we can mentality for any cost really. And we were doing that for 12 months and in year three, we were like, well, if we're going to have another year like this year, we need to hire. So we were starting to think about that and the cost of that. It was such a risk for us to do that. And it just didn't feel like we had any consistent pipeline of work. We had all of the work that we'd ever done and won and had been a success was either word of mouth, referrals, previous agencies we've worked at suggesting us, which is all great, but it felt like that's inevitably going to dry up. There's nothing in the in the future to look forward to. We're just like, we're waiting on an email to arrive in their inbox. And it felt like sales and going out and getting our own projects was the weakest part of mine and Tom's kind of box of tricks, really. We're really good at the work, but when we'd worked in agency world or even me in freelance world, they just come to you with the work. It either lands on your desk or you get asked to come in and do like a three-month contract somewhere. So going out and trying to understand how do we get some sales? How do we go out and get the right type of clients for us was something we didn't have a clue about. And so that was why we, we got in touch. Yeah. I just want to dig into that for a second because I think people could hear that and not be confused. They probably relate to that situation. But just explain to me a little bit more about this concept of you were really busy and really burnt out, but then at the same time, you felt like finding business was your kind of weakest part. Yeah, sure. Okay. So all of the work, it was kind of, it was coming in, it was just rolling in via an email, which is, you know, some people think that's great, but it was kind of, we would take on anything at the time because we were like, we're in a pandemic. We don't know how things are going to go. Let's just take on everything that, that we can. And so a year had flown by. We'd not made any changes in the business. We'd not like been able to ramp up the staff or improve the office space. We'd just kind of 
12 months had just gone by like that. We were just charging nothing really. And a year of our lives had gone without any sort of progress in the business whatsoever. So yeah, the big thing was, well, that really can't happen now. So the reason for that is we need to start charging more. We need to be more selective with the the clients that we're working with. Hopefully the projects are not like one to two weeks long. They're more like two to three months long. So we can spend all of our time just doing that. And really that was the vision for why we set up in the first place. We wanted to be more focused on the projects. We wanted to work closer with the clients, collaborate with the clients. That was the whole reason why I left in the first place. And it felt a bit like we were just becoming this like production house where we're just pumping out anything. And we wanted to get back to like the roots of why we even started it, which was in the deck that I'd initially presented to Tom. You know, we want to be more selective. We want to do more cool work. We want to be more collaborative with clients. And this kind of just referring stuff to us from agencies was a little bit like when I was freelancing. It was just picking up whatever someone else couldn't do. Yeah, that makes total sense. And what I'm hearing from that is almost two things. Number one, you felt a bit stagnant in terms of like your progress in your business. Yeah. But also it sounds like you were kind of just doing the work. You had your head down in the business, but you didn't actually have a chance to kind of look up and see where you were going, work on the business, think about the vision, think about the types of clients you wanted to to work with almost like you just kind of had a job again. Yeah, exactly. I think we've always been very aware of not just working five days a week on production work. So from when we very first started, we said we will only do four days a week production. However, in that year we were busy, that fifth day became production as well. Instead of spending time on the business, doing emails, doing anything really that would help us grow. And yeah, it just became very stagnant, I would say, definitely. Yeah, and it's interesting because it sounds like you were both working your asses off. Mm, we were, yeah, to tight deadlines. It wasn't work that we hated. It was just work that it came in. Can you do it? Yes or no. Yes, we will. We'll do it. Whether we have to work, you know, overtime, weekends, whatever it is. And it was like, well, this is this is not why we started Few and Far. We didn't want to have no work-life balance. We wanted to enjoy the work we were doing, but we were both burnt out. And it, it, we knew at the end of that year at Christmas when we forced ourselves to take a week off just to recuperate that things needed to change. And so at the start of that new year, it was like, right, we're going to have to do something different. We can't just, first of all, rest on our laurels and just expect work to land on our desk. But also this work that's landing on our desk is really time consuming and we just can't have another year like last year. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. And so you made that decision that things had to change. You joined our program. What was one of the first big shifts that you remember happening i think it's probably finding our niche we found it really early in the program there's some great stuff in there like the river of life that we did together me and tom and the niche that we're in now is like charity work so we work with anyone in the third sector or uh, community foundations etc and i'd actually worked with a lot of charities in my previous agency career so i'd worked with like water aid cancer research these really big charities and loved the work just really loved it and I wanted to get back to that I started doing a lot more commercial work in in future jobs in agencies and I was just like this is not it's not as good and I, that was always in the back of my mind that I think there's something in that I think we could I'd rather take our expertise to doing something good in the world than just working with more commercial clients but Tom didn't have that experience that I'd had so as a company that we'd founded together not as a freelancer but as, as co-founders it was we wanted to make sure that the niche we wanted to go down was something we could both resonate with. So doing all of the river of life stuff was really good. It, it, we looked back through everything that we'd ever done, the good times, the bad times in life, and realized that we actually had a lot more in common 
than we realised and things that had happened in our life. Our own mental health is something, anxiety. And these are all things that really started to kind of turn the tide on Tom realising. I actually can relate to this sector a lot more than I thought I could. And at a similar time, we started seeing results for some work we'd done pro bono for a charity anyway, and seeing like the people that this charity help. I think that was a real light bulb moment for him where he was like, we actually are making a difference in this sector. So yeah, I think finding our niche and then going, right, we're going to just stick to that and be more selective and be more confident about who we do and don't want to help has been the biggest learning, I would say. And we learned that quite early on. So I think we were quite lucky. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember you saying when you first joined, it was one of the things that you wanted to nail. So I remember kind of putting it to the team as a bit of a, a priority and, you know, looking at some of those tools that we had. Just for everyone else listening, this is a hot topic, right? Niching is something that's discussed specifically in the creative industries and in the freelance world quite a lot. Yeah. I think we could probably dig down and, and talk a little bit about this and, and have lots of value. If we've got time, we'll see if we can touch on some of the other things. But let's just start with what things look like now. So before we actually talk about how to find a niche, I think a lot of the time people are actually even reluctant to niche because they believe that they're going to burn some bridges with existing clients. They're going to get less work. They're going to box themselves in. And it's actually a really risky thing to do. So let's talk about now you have found that niche and now you have been on that path for a while. How is the business different? Like what are some of the things that are more positive or what are some of the benefits of having that niche? Yeah, sure. So I think everything that you just said is certainly reservations we had as well. We were like, oh, you know, we don't want to be coming across as experts in something we don't know anything about, for example. If you were just going to decide tomorrow you're going to completely niche into something you've never done before, there's going to be things to learn along the way. So I think the biggest takeaways for us were the job fulfillment is way better than it was because we're being more selective with the people we help and the, the work that we do. The job satisfaction is way higher than it was. Also, the people we work with are way more appreciative of the work that we do than previously where it, it felt a little bit like we were just the cheapest option for someone or we were oh these seem really good but oh they're a bit expensive but maybe we can talk them down and that would happen and now it's just like yes we are expensive but we get you results and here are the results of the previous work we've done and that's we're only doing more and more of that now the more work we're doing the more case studies we're doing the more we learn about the industry and the ways we can help it's made such a difference to how we feel about our business and the value that we give to the clients that we work with. So it's been massive. It's been massive, the difference. Yeah. And what are some of the other things specifically? So people worry about things such as not having as much work or, I mean, charities specifically, most people would say, oh, you shouldn't niche into charities because there's no money in it. So yeah, what would you say to that? Have you got any evidence or any examples of where maybe that's not true? I can only say it's not true because we've seen that they do. I think it's just they are one of the most risk averse, probably sectors that you can be in that as they should be that, you know, every penny matters. People are donating to these charities. They want to make sure that they're open and honest and transparent about where money goes and all that kind of stuff. But if they want true kind of results of change in their business, you know, in their charity, if they really want to increase online donations or their perception 
or to get more high value donors. That just doesn't magically happen. They have to look better. They have to talk like they they talk to you. They have to have a better perception, a better website, whatever that is, a better campaign at Christmas. And if you can talk to people on a level like we are now, just face to face, I think you often find that they let their guard down and you could start to understand their real problems and real struggles and that you can help them. But that does cost. And it's interesting how many people in the sector can go and then find the money. They have to go speak to trustees, you know, the people who help the charity. But if you can give a good case and you can show previous results, then, you know, you're in a much better position. Yeah. And what's one of your kind of best examples of that? You don't have to give us exact figures, but if you think back to all your projects where, because I know there was a specific example that we discussed in the past where originally they said they didn't have the budget. And then they came back to you and and found the budget, either that one or any other examples you can think of of where they have actually gone and found the money. Yeah, yeah. No, I I think that's a good example. That actually came as a referral, but that came as a referral specifically because we were talking about the niche. Now we were active online, active on LinkedIn, saying that we help charities. These are the charities that we're helping. We had a, a free offer to help charities that we still continue today. And they reached out to us and said, we can't help this charity. We haven't got the time and the budget is very low, but would you be willing to chat to them? Yes, absolutely. Willing to have a chat. In the past, we might have gone, that budget's ridiculous. You know, we'd have just been like, we're too busy. When would we even fit that in? I can imagine Tom saying that in the past, but yeah, we were like, okay, let's go in. Let's have a, a fresh approach learning the things that we'd learn on the program. Let's just see if we can help them. If we can't work with them specifically, we'll definitely can give them some help, some tips. Maybe we can recommend them to somebody else, a freelancer, for example. Had a great conversation with them. They had a very, very low budget. We said you'd need to double that budget if you wanted us to do the work because we felt like they needed a rebrand and also a, a new website. And they went, okay, we'll go away. And they got they got the budget that we asked for. So it was really surprising because it was like, we only have this, we've got nothing else. But by the end of the call, they were able to go to someone who could help them out, a trustee, someone who they knew and got the more budget basically. And since then, we've been working with them. The project's been amazing. It's been one of the best experiences we've had as an agency. Since that, they've paid us for more work, including a document that they can use to go out to high value donors, to banks and things like that to help them. And that's actually been really successful. We found out the other day that they've been given, I think they're like their primary charity for a large bank now. So they wouldn't have had the confidence to do that before with how they looked, how they were perceived, but they were able to go in with confidence, show them this documentation that we created for them, the new brand, and they got it. And so, mm. you know, we're continuing to work with them. We've got more work coming in for them now. So what started out as a conversation where it's like, we might not be able to help them, but let's see how the conversation goes to now. They're one of our best clients. Yeah, that's such a cool story. Now, we were going to dive into niching, but I think on that point, people are going to be listening to that thinking, how did you do that? What did you say in that conversation? So how did you manage to turn, we don't have a budget, this is all we've got to them now being one of your best clients who's continually paying what you ask? Because I think that time and time again, we've proved what we say we do is is right and that we, we've been able to show them the results as we go through. So initially showing them the rebrand, oh my God, they were blown away. Showing them the website, blown away, their documentation and being really working closer with them all the way through. We've just had just a great relationship and I think they were so glad and relieved that they'd finally found a supplier that they could rely on and trust. And I think once you get the trust, the money's not really, it's not the problem anymore. That That, that risk adversity kind of goes away a little bit. Yeah. And what was it specifically like in that first conversation, Cole, that allowed 
you to A, build that trust, but B, to get them to go away and find the budget, like before they had actually seen the work? I think it was the confidence that we had, the new confidence. It was kind of not being attached to the outcome, which has been a big learning for us. So it's like, we'd love to help this charity, but their budget is very low. So, you know, we'd love to help them, but we probably can't. We weren't attached to whether they'd want to go with us or not. And I think being open and honest with them and giving them advice on the call about, we think you need to do this. We think you need to do that. However, to do that, the budget needs to be doubled. They can take that or leave it. And some clients do, some don't. But I think they really appreciated the advice. And I think just because we were confident about what we were saying, knew we could give them the results if they could get the money. I think... That must have come through quite well in the call. Mm, yeah. Okay. And so I think that's a big one, isn't it? Like actually going onto that call, taking that call and being like, well, it's okay if these people don't want to work with us, but we are going to do our best to help and we're going to tell them the truth. And what was it that gave you the confidence not to lower that budget? Like, how did you go from what would maybe be termed as a scarcity mindset of, oh, God, we need this work in the door to actually, I'm quite comfortable just saying, well, this is the minimum we can take this on for. Probably you. (laughs) (laughs) Probably you and your course. I know you've not asked me to say that, but I think that's true. I think having the confidence to just be like, because there's a point where it's not worth your time because our time is valuable. As I said, the year before, we didn't make any progress on our business at all. Like nothing happened in it. And so we started to consider, well, if we do a three-month project for very, very little money, they're going to get the same quality of work. We're still spending the same amount of time on it, but we're not really getting any like money out of the back of it at all, Like not even enough to support us, really. So it seems like it's common sense, that, but before we would have gone, oh, it's great, let's just take it on. It's, it's good for the, the old portfolio or whatever. But I think just having the confidence to be like, We'll probably get something bigger and better. We just, it will come. We will find it has been a really good learning for us. And I think that that's genuinely the reason why we were like going in and we do to all of our calls now and just not be attached to God, I could really do with this work or I'd really love to work with this client. Cause we've had dream clients we've spoken to before who've had zero budget and we've just gone, we just can't, we just can't help you. Whereas we know that a lot of people would take that on still. Yeah. And just diving into that a little bit more, what's the consequence, not just for you, but for the client of taking that work on, do you think? They are getting the results that we said they would get. If you believe you can make a difference to a client, all of good creative people believe that. Like they're good at what they do. They just don't have like the confidence to say it. But we all know deep down that we are good at what we do and that if we were to in an ideal world, make their the client's life better. We can all do it. I think that's our approach now. We believe we can get you the results that you want for this budget. Mm. And I think that they really took that on. They really got that we understood them and we understood their problem, how they were perceived, their problems of how they looked and that they couldn't talk to people about what they did. We got all of that and we just said, we could just make that go away. We could sort that out. And I think that confidence is just something that We've had to learn. I've done this a long time, but I've never been very confident about selling myself and selling my ideas to people. But at the end of the day, like that's why we started the business. We started it because we do believe we can make a difference. And so it's just having the confidence now to be like that on calls. I love that. 
Just going back to this niche concept, because I think this is kind of all tied together. And you mentioned it at the start about this concept of the river of life. Now, for people listening who don't know what that is or what the concept is, can you just kind of explain that process a little bit and how it might have contributed to that level of confidence, knowing that that you could help and that knowing that the niche was the right way to go? Yeah. In a nutshell, the river of life is it's a, it's a line which represents different years of your life or different decades of your life. So 10, 20, 30 years old. And it's all, you just write down all of the good and negative things that have happened in your life. So positive could be, you know, getting married, getting your first house, getting your first job. Negatives could be family loss. It could be mental health, which was mine. And doing that just really helped me understand who I was and the experience that that I'd had. And I realized that I'd actually done a lot more in my life than you kind of sometimes give yourself credit for the things that were hard, the things that were that were good. You're like, oh, I forgot about that. And oh, yeah, that was a really tough time in my 20s. I had a really tough time. And I think it was really good for Tom because Tom was always like, oh, I've not done anything. <laughs> I've not done anything in my life. I've just worked. And it's like, you've not, you've, you know, the, the things I learned about him from like when he was a kid, experiences he had in his 20s, loss that he'd suffered his family and all that stuff just, I think, helped bring us closer, but also helped us realise that it, it certainly helped him understand that he's had more experiences in the niche that we wanted to be in than he realised he'd ever had. And that was a real breakthrough for us. And so, yeah, ideally, our niche within the niche, if you like, our mental health charities. So we help any charity, but our perfect ideal is a mental health charity because that is our, we've had our own personal experiences with that. So that's something we can really like hang our hat on and say, we know about that. We've had true experiences of that. So it's almost taking our professional expertise to another level because we have that personal experience of it as well. So I think the river of life was massive for us as far as understanding who I was, who we were as a business and where we wanted to go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. And that's one of the things I love about the journey, not just the river of life, but the journey that I see people go on is actually just realizing their own potential, realizing what I can see and helping people see that and them going, actually, yeah, we have had a lot of these experiences. And actually, yeah, there isn't really anyone like us with this exact combination of skills and experiences and insights and network. And we are in this really unique position to help these people. And I think as soon as you realize that, it becomes way less about you personally and the work that you do. Like, am I good at building websites and will people pay me to build websites? Versus actually, I'm kind of in this unique position to solve a problem for someone. And the drive becomes about the problem and the client rather than kind of introspective and where we get in our own heads about our skill and our level of ability. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I see a lot of people on your program, Matt, that the, the, the work they do is incredible, but some people have just got absolutely zero confidence in like, you know, when they come on, you're like, I can't believe the work that this person does, the awards that they've won, but they can't talk about how good they are. They can't say anything positive about the work that they've done the work that they've got going on, the business that they've created. And it's just, it's all about confidence a lot of the time. It really is about, you've done a lot. Like (laughs) you need to pat yourself on the back and kind of accept that you are really good and be able to bring that confidence then. Because that's what, I think that's when you talk to prospective clients, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for someone that they can rely on, someone that it, it kind of has that confidence and it's coming across, whether it's in person or over the camera, that, okay, I'm really getting this guy or girl. Like they really are speaking to me I really feel confident that if I was to go with them I'd get some good results so yeah yeah 
Absolutely, man. Yeah, I love that. Cool. Well, look, we've been chatting for for about half an hour now. I think there's some incredible gold nuggets in there. I'd just love to to wrap up on some of the things on the journey that you've taken, some of the, the shifts. Obviously, the niche was, was one. Is there anything else that kind of like in hindsight now, maybe a lesson that you would kind of bring to your younger self like a few years ago like something that you would want to tell yourself or teach yourself now you look back on on this journey yeah i think um there's probably one big one which is just get yourself out there have more conversations be more public facing because how people would ever find us previously i, I have no idea and i don't like it either but putting myself out there public speaking webinars conferences podcasts I think you will find that you do resonate with someone. You find like-minded people, people you can talk to on LinkedIn, people you talk to on Twitter. So the conversations for us has been, it's been amazing. It's been great to just have conversations with charities, find out what their problems are. That helps us understand the sector more and now we could help. Could we create something that can help more charities? So conversations has been the one big thing. Other things for me were probably more about the work-life balance thing, which is obviously super important. And one of the things I learned the earliest on the thing was about the default diary, (laughs) which we never had before, which is basically blocking out your day to do different things. So as I said before, the year prior, all of those blocks would have been fulfillment five days a week. But it's about, okay, we're not going to do that. We're not going to look at emails until 11 o'clock. We're going to stop at one o'clock for lunch. We're going to do fulfillment two till four. We're going to do planning for the next day, four till five. And we've stuck to that for a year. And it's been incredible because it really helps you focus in on the things that you're doing in that time rather than just going from, you know, rather than it all just being as important, the priorities are, are set by the default diary. And the other one was not taking work home. So I used to always struggle and it really didn't help with anxiety when I'd get home, it'd be eight o'clock at night, I'd check my work emails. Oh God, I've got some bad news or we didn't win a project or whatever it is. It ruins your evening, you can't sleep. Me and Tom are having like midnight calls about the problem. We just turn notifications off on his emails and I just check them now at 11 o'clock as part of my default diary. So being able to finish work at five o'clock, going home, having your your life and then coming in, reading your emails at 11 o'clock has been a massive learning. Such a small little thing, but it does make a big difference. If you feel like you're taking your work home, you're stressed, like why am I still working at, at this time? Your emails, it's not that important. It really isn't. It can wait till the morning. It's a big learning. So I'm curious just on that last bit, because I can't leave that untouched what are some of the assumptions that you had previously that pulled you into that trap of constantly checking emails and taking the work home you just believe that the client is as soon as they email you have to reply it's this unspoken rule about like oh it's so it must be so important that they've emailed that i have to email back within 10 minutes but how many times have you you replied and then you don't hear from them for another day or three or a week It's a simple thing, but I think that it must come from, I think for me, it comes from work, from working and being in a agency or office environment where you are expected to respond to emails, messages as soon as possible. However, with your clients, your job's to manage clients, manage their expectations. And so you should be outlining really to your client how you communicate, how often, when you open, when you close, these are the ways we can communicate. Because we never used to outline that before, but we used to have like clients calling at night, getting emails at one o'clock in the morning and I'm replying to them. And so, yeah, I think it's just the fear of like, 
you know, upsetting a client and not re- responding in a good time. But if you get an email at six o'clock at night and you reply at 11 o'clock tomorrow, it's that's fine, isn't it? It's not it's not a late reply. Yeah, absolutely. It's just so interesting how our brain works, isn't it? And we kind of catastrophize everything. We have all of these assumptions about people's expectations, but we never really put them on the line and just say, well, actually, this is how things work. Are you okay with that? Yeah, totally. Love it. Cole, it's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast. I would love to continue talking with you about this all day, but I appreciate you're a busy man. (laughs) Is there anything else that you feel we haven't covered or anything else that you'd like to say or talk about before we wrap up today? Well, I'd just like to quickly talk about our uh, Impact Optimizer, which is a free website audit for charities that we do. So you can visit our website at few-far.co and we have a post on our journal about these audits that we do. So they are four to five suggestions on how we think a charity can improve their website to help with online donations, accessibility, the content, basically the impact that their website makes. And all they need to do is book on and we do it. We do the rest. The charities have found it really valuable, the the things that they can action themselves as well. So it's not about us selling our services to them. And we've met so many great charities and great people along the way doing that. And we'd love to do more. Yeah, absolutely. We'll put a link to that in the show notes for sure. And when this goes out, I'll make sure that we plug that on social as well. Thank you, sir. Good stuff. Listen, thank you so much for your time. And great to connect with you and hear your story and watch your journey. It's been an absolute pleasure having you as a client. And uh, yeah, wish you all the best for the future. Cheers, Matt. Been a pleasure as always. Thanks for your time. Nice one. Speak to you soon. Before you leave, if you found this episode valuable, please hit the subscribe button. Also, if you are a creative business owner doing more than 10K a month and you want to grow and scale without working longer hours or hiring a massive team, then I have something you may be interested in. We have just developed a tool that will give you a custom growth strategy based on exactly where you are in your business right now. So you can stop consuming lots of random content and trying to figure things out on your own and actually get something personalized to you. You will also receive a free copy of my book and it will point out relevant chapters. If you'd like to take the scorecard, it's totally free. You just have to click the link in the show notes or connect with me on LinkedIn and you will see a link in my bio. Thanks for listening. This is the Creative Courage Podcast.